23. I'm going to invite you to uh, now take your Bibles and turn to the last book of the Bible, to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 8. We're going to be reading uh, the first five verses. If you're visiting this morning, we are currently going through the book of Revelation together, and we have come to uh, the beginning of chapter 8. We're going to read again uh, the first five verses. Revelation 8, beginning at verse 1. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. I wonder if my prayers really have any impact? Have you ever asked that question before? I wonder if my prayers really have any impact. Now we know what the Bible says. We know, for example, James chapter 5 says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And, and we might say, yeah, I'm sure that the prayers of Moses and David and Daniel and Martin Luther and the Apostle Paul were powerful and effective. But I'm kind of a nobody. I don't know that, that my prayers are powerful and effective. Most of you in this room are, are praying for many things right now. You're praying for a broken relationship. You're praying for wisdom. You're praying for something. And you might wonder at times, does, does God really hear my prayers? Are my prayers really having an impact? In addition to that, we, we might wonder how our prayers relate to the sovereignty of God. We confess that, that nothing in the universe happens outside of God's will. R.C. Sproul has famously said that there is not a single renegade molecule in all the universe. Everything falls under the sovereign control of God. And, and we might say if God is sovereign, if he has ordained everything that will come to pass, what, what role do my prayers play in God's sovereign plan? I want you this morning to be encouraged from Revelation chapter 8. I want you to be encouraged with the truth that God hears and responds to the prayers of his children. Normally on Sundays I, I give you a, a two or three or four point outline for the sermon. I'm not going to give that to you today. There's only one point. And the one point of this passage is that we should be encouraged to pray because God hears and responds to 
the prayers of his children. Now context, when studying the Bible, context is always important, especially when you're studying the book of Revelation. It it can be very easy when when reading this book or studying this book to get lost in all the imagery and and weird symbolism and and we get bogged down in those details. And and so before we look at chapter 8, let's think briefly about the context here. Beginning in chapter 4, John was given a vision of heaven. And and if you were here, you remember that, that John sees God is sitting on a throne and all around him is a sea of glass. The, the imagery is that, that God is the sovereign king and nothing catches God by surprise. And in God's hand, he's holding a scroll that is sealed with seven seals. And that scroll represents the eternal plan of God. And there's only one person who is worthy to break those seals and open the scroll. And that is the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the seven seals are opened, we, you might remember this, we were shown three things. First of all, what is, what is true on earth. Secondly, what is true in heaven. And third, what will be true one day when Jesus returns. And then chapter 7, we looked at this last week as kind of this interlude, this break between chapter 6 and chapter 8. And there we see the 144,000 being sealed Sealed by the Holy Spirit as a symbol, as a reminder that not one of God's people will be lost. We go through life at times as Christians wondering, am I going to make it to the end? Am I going to persevere to the end? God tells us in his word that every single believer in Christ will make it to the end. Every single believer in Christ has been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Not one will be lost. And chapter 7 ends with this, um, this glorious scene in heaven where a multitude sings out praise to God. Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. All glory goes to him. Well, now we come to chapter 8. Jesus opens the seventh seal. And children, what happens? Notice what happens. There's silence in heaven. For about half an hour. Now this seems kind of strange to us. We we expect the the opening of the seventh and final seal to be this grand climax. We we expect maybe a description of Jesus' second coming. Maybe a description of the final judgment. Maybe a description of the new heavens and the new earth. But instead all we get is silence. It seems kind of strange to us. And that's interesting because up to this point in Revelation, there's been a lot of noise, a lot of activity. You remember that around God's throne there is thunder and lightning. The worship of heaven is is quite loud. At a certain point, thousands and thousands and thousands of angels join in the singing. But after all of this noise, after all of this activity, John tells us it's now silent. Why is that? What what is the meaning of the silence? Now, if you're like me, you often view God's silence as a sign of his inactivity. That he's forgotten about us. That maybe he's turned his back on us. You, You find this kind of thinking, for example, when you read the Psalms. 
when the psalmist is in distress, when the psalmist is going through a very difficult period in his life, what question does the psalmist often ask? Lord, where are you? Lord, why are you silent? Lord, why are you not doing something? Lord, why is nothing happening? You ever feel like that? You, you feel as if God is, is being silent to you. That he's ignored your pleas. He's ignored your situation. You're going through a difficult time, some trial, some hardship, and you wonder, God, why are you not doing something about this? For example, Psalm 10, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Now, at times like this, it's important for us to remember God has not turned his back on us. God hasn't forgotten us. At times like these, we need to cling to his promise that he will never leave us, he will never forsake us, that he will use even the very difficult things in our life for our good. But I want you to notice something here in Revelation 8. It doesn't say that God was silent, does it? It says that heaven was silent. All of the noise of the previous chapters, all of the worship around God's throne, all of it has stopped. And it's here that we once again need to compare Scripture with Scripture to understand what this silence means. What we find in the Old Testament is that just before God is ready to break forth in judgment, just before God is ready to rescue his people, everything goes silent. For example, Zephaniah chapter 1, Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. Zechariah chapter 2, Be silent all flesh before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. This is an amazing picture here in Revelation 8. When heaven goes silent, when all of the worship stops, it's a signal for us that God is about to act. It's a signal for us that God is going to respond to the cries of his people. And what are those cries? If you have your Bible open, look back at chapter 6 and notice verse 10. Chapter 6, verse 10 says, They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Children, these, these people who are crying out to God, these are people who have been killed because they were Christians. These are people who have been put to death on account of their faith in Jesus Christ. And, and they're crying out, Lord, how long before justice? How long, Lord, before you will act? A few weeks ago, I, I mentioned to you a rather startling statistic. And that is that, that in the last 2,000 years, ever since Jesus Christ ascended into heaven... 
In the last 2,000 years, 70 million Christians have been put to death on account of their faith. 70 million. And so we cry out, Lord, how long are we going to have to deal with this? How long, Lord, will your truth be trampled upon? How long will your people be persecuted? How long will your people be put to death? Lord, when are we going to get justice? When are you going to act on behalf of your people? We're being told here that it's coming one day. And and it's pictured for us here in what John sees. You'll notice that he looks and he sees seven angels. And each one of those angels is given a trumpet. I don't know how much you know about um, trumpets in the Bible, but throughout the Old Testament, trumpets were used to declare that God was about to come in judgment. For example, we read this in Joel chapter 2, blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, it is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. The sound of the trumpet was a warning call. Sound of a trumpet was a warning that judgment was right around the corner. And as these seven trumpets are blown here in Revelation, we we are reminded that one day God is going to act. One day there will be justice. We confess in the Heidelberg Catechism, Christ will cast all of his enemies and mine into everlasting condemnation, but will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into the joy and glory of heaven. Brothers and sisters, that that day is coming. That day is coming when God will avenge the blood of those 70 million martyrs. Seventy million people put to death on account of their faith in Christ. One day, justice will be served. And and to encourage us in this and and to remind us that, that God is not ignoring your prayers. Christian, your prayers are not bouncing off the ceiling. To remind us that God hears and responds to the prayers of his children. We we are given this very interesting imagery here in Revelation 8. All of a sudden, another angel shows up, and he's standing at the altar, and and notice in your Bible, notice what he's carrying. He's carrying a golden censer. What is this all about? Well, I know I say this a lot, but this is important. Um, This is why it's crucial that we know the Old Testament. So often, so often, especially in Revelation, so often the Old Testament sheds light on the New Testament, And that's the case here. I want you to think for a moment about the tabernacle. Children, do you remember what the tabernacle was? The tabernacle was like a a mobile church that God's people took with them as they traveled. The tabernacle was the place in the Old Testament before the temple where where God's people worshipped him and and where they offered sacrifices for their sins. And and the basic configuration of the tabernacle was that you had the the courtyard, the outer courtyard, and and then you had the the holy place, and then you had the most holy place, or the holy of holies. 
Right in front of the door to the most holy place was this altar. It was called the altar of incense. And the priest would go in there and he would burn incense on that altar. And the whole tabernacle would fill with smoke. That incense was a picture of the priest interceding in prayer for all of God's people. Here in Revelation, it's like, a, it's like a replica of the tabernacle on earth has been set up in heaven. An angel takes incense, and, and, and notice something. Notice he mixes the incense with the prayers of all the saints. And, and the smoke goes up before the presence of the Lord. By the way, don't, don't mistakenly think that the word saints refers to some category of super-duper Christian. We, we sometimes fall into this trap of thinking, well, you know, a saint is um, some great person in the Bible or church history. The, the word saint simply means set apart. When you believe in Jesus Christ, God sets you apart. He seals you with the Holy Spirit. Anyone who believes in Christ is a saint, This room is filled with saints. Saints are simply believers in Christ. And and so I want you to see the very wonderful, powerful imagery here. As the incense is mixed with the prayers of God's people, we are being told something that is meant to encourage us. Christian, all of your prayers, as imperfect as they are, All of them are mixed with the intercession of your great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, and they are ascending into the very throne room of heaven. They are ascending into the presence of God. You know, it's an amazing truth of the Bible that that Jesus is continually praying for us. Children, Jesus is always praying for you. Romans chapter 8, verse 34 says that Jesus is at God's right hand interceding for us. 1 John 2 tells us that Jesus is our advocate. That word advocate means someone who comes alongside to help us. Jesus helps you in your prayers. Hebrews 7 verse 25 says Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. And so how wonderful it is to consider that that my prayers, my weak, faulty, sometimes selfish prayers are mixed with the prayers of my great high priest and they are presented to my Father in heaven. That's true for every one of us, every believer in Christ. And on top of that, do do you remember what Romans 8 says about the help of the Holy Spirit? Romans chapter 8 verse 26 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Get this. Even when you don't know how to pray, even when you're Prayers are nothing more than a sigh. God hears them. He hears them. 
You ever find yourself sighing as a Christian? You watch the news and you sigh. You see how God's law is constantly disregarded? You see what sin has done to this world? You wrestle with sin in your own life? You keep doing the things you don't want to do? And you don't do the things you want to do? You sigh because you're troubled. You sigh because you're worn down. You, you sigh because you don't really know how to pray anymore. God hears every sigh. Every sigh, every prayer is mixed with the prayers of your Savior. And they are brought to the almighty king of the universe. I've been telling you throughout our study of Revelation that we, we too often view this book as just impossible to understand. We, we, we see all this weird imagery and all this stuff and, and it's confusing and, and we just want to give up and read something easier. That's not why God gave us Revelation. He gave us revelation to, to comfort us and, and to assure us, to, to give us hope, to press on in your Christian life. And, and here, these first five verses of Revelation 8 are given to you to encourage you to press on in your prayers. Don't give up. Don't think you have to have the perfectly eloquent prayer for God to hear you. God's not impressed with your many words. He takes your sighs. He takes your imperfect prayers. He mixes them with the prayers of his son and they are brought before his throne and he hears every single one of them. And to drive home that point, notice what it says in verse five. The angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. So much for silence. God is acting. Children, think about all those things. Thunder, rumblings, lightning, earthquake. What do they all have in common? What they all have in common is that they're very powerful. Many of us are afraid of lightning and thunderstorms. Many of us are afraid of earthquakes. They're powerful. They're strong. They can, they can do tremendous damage. What we're being told here is that God is acting in a powerful way upon the prayers of his people. All of those sighs, all of those, Lord, how long? All of those, Lord, when is justice coming? All of those will be answered one day when our Savior returns. That's the point of this passage to remind you don't give up in your prayers God hears every sigh cry plea and prayer from his children and I told you at the beginning of the sermon this is a one point sermon but I do want to give you as we conclude I want to give you three points of application 
The first one relates to our individual lives as Christians. We'll call this the individual application. If, if you're a believer in Christ, what I say here applies to you individually this morning. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how long you've been in the church. If you're a believer in Christ, this is for you. You, you may look at your life and, and you may wonder to yourself, you know, what can I do for God's kingdom? You, you may think to yourself, um, I'm too old to do much for the church anymore. Or you may think, children, you may think, I'm just a kid. What can I do for the church? Or, or you may think, you know, I don't have any great gifts that, that God can use in the church. That's not what this passage tells us. Regardless of your age, regardless of your abilities, regardless of your gifts, you have a great weapon at your disposal. And that is the weapon of prayer. And, and you can pray with confidence. You can know that mixed with the perfect intercession of your high priest, Jesus Christ, your prayers ascend into the very throne room of heaven. Isn't that amazing? The king, the creator, the sustainer, the sovereign Lord, the one who rules over it all, hears every prayer of yours. Don't give up. Don't give up. Keep praying. The second point of application relates to to why we should pray. This we could call the theological application. A question that, that many Christians ask, and it's a question I raised at the beginning of the sermon, is if God is sovereign, why pray? It's a legitimate question. It makes sense, doesn't it? If God is sovereign, why should I pray? Here's the answer. Our prayers are included in the sovereign, eternal decree of God. In other words, God has not only decreed all that would happen throughout all of history, but he's also decreed the means by which those things would happen. Let me give you an example. God has decreed all those whom he will save. The Bible says that from before the foundation of the world, God elected those whom he would save in Christ. That's the clear teaching of Scripture. And, and yet, God has also decreed the means by which those people would be saved. The means is the preaching of the gospel, the evangelization of the lost. That's why we evangelize. We, we don't want to become so messed up in our theology that we think, well, God is sovereign. God's in control of all things. God's decided whom he's going to save. We don't need to evangelize. That's not what the Bible says. God has not only decreed whom he would save, he's also decreed the means by which those people would be saved, and that's why we preach the gospel. That's why we evangelize the lost. The same thing is true with prayer. Not only has God decreed all that would happen, but he also uses, get this, our prayers in a way that we don't fully understand. 
He uses our prayers to bring those things to pass. And so again, be encouraged this morning to persist in prayer. Pray for that wayward son or daughter. Pray for that broken relationship. Pray for wisdom as you try to figure out how to navigate the future. Pray. God has ordained your prayers as a means by which he will accomplish his purposes. That's the second point. Third, finally, relates to what we will celebrate at this table in just a moment, and we'll call it the um, sacramental application. One of the things that, that amazes me, and, and I, I trust it amazes you, is that God is our Heavenly Father. You ever think about that? You know, we, we pray so often to our Heavenly Father, we use that terminology. You ever think about the amazing fact that, that God is our Heavenly Father? I only deserve God to be my judge. I only deserve God to pour out his wrath upon me. But because of the great love with which he loves us and because of Jesus Christ, he is my heavenly father. And I enjoy intimate fellowship and communion with him in prayer. We have that same fellowship, that same communion here at this table. As God promises to feed us spiritually with the body and blood of his son. And that's why we come to this table this morning with joy. Because we know that through the perfect work of God's son, God is our God. And we are his children. Now listen, if you're not trusting in Christ as your Savior, God is not your Heavenly Father. The only way to Him is through faith in Jesus Christ. Not through your good works, not through your church membership, not through who your parents are, not through anything that you do, but only through faith in Jesus Christ. And for those who come to Him through faith in Christ... He is our God. He is our Father. And we are his children. That's an amazing, amazing reality. God is my God. And I am his child. And because of that, Christian, he hears your prayers. He hears your sighs. He hears your pleas. Mixed with the perfect intercession of Christ, they ascend like smoke into the very throne room of heaven. God hears you and he responds to you. We can be thankful for that this morning. Be encouraged with that this morning in knowing who God is for us. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you give to us uh, in a very vivid and, and symbolic way a wonderful reminder of the privilege and the power of prayer. Father, we confess that, that often prayer is one of the last things we turn to. It shows our apparent self-sufficiency and that we think we can handle things on our own. But Lord, help us to always respond with prayer before you. 
And help us to know, Lord, that every sigh and every cry and every plea for help is brought by our Savior Jesus into your throne room and that you hear all the prayers of your children. Lord, encourage us with that this morning. And as we come to the table, again, remind us of the the wonderful fellowship that we enjoy with you and also with one another. Strengthen us, Lord, through the sacrament this morning that we may live for you this coming week. We pray this in Jesus' name.